Episode 28 up. Wow. 28. Really come a long way, baby. I am your host with the least, Kent Chungus. Joining me here, as always, is the operator. Welcome. Thank you for coming to Chili's. We have a lot to talk about today, Op. We do. And we have only all the time to do it. (laughs) So to kick this off, did you ever go to like circuses or carnivals when you were young? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to both the Republican and the Democratic National Convention rallies and a quilt show in an airplane hangar. Quilt show, I will say, was like walking into eight miles during a rap battle. Those ladies do not mess around. Crazy. It was a total circus. One time when I was in middle school, I think it was seventh grade, one of the classes, and I can't remember which one, required us to make a quilt for class. (laughs) Oh, wow. That had like, to do with our family and our interests in it. And I remember every single person in class just had their grandma do it. So you weren't even like getting graded. Like at a certain point, it was like, whose grandma was the best at quilting? Because like what a ridiculous thing to require of a seventh grader is to make a quilt. They're all like professionally done, like perfectly embroidered. And everyone has like a picture quilt, you know, on it. So there's like, so, Billy, why did you put a, choose to put a picture of you as a small baby showing your penis? Well, I, I don't know. Freaking grandma. But they, everybody had a picture <laughs> quilt with showing their penis on it. I, the only thing I did with the whole thing was picked out the pictures that would go on it. And she went and had the pictures made to like where they get ironed on. Yeah. Yeah. And then she quilted it together. And I just turned in grandma's work like every other kid. <laughs> Ridiculous. One time I talked to a lady, a professional quilter. It was really cool. Talk. I mean, man, that is a lost art. And it's also something we don't appreciate anymore. Like how long it takes to quilt a quilt or like crochet or knit something. And she said something interesting though. She's like, whenever I make a quilt and usually I make quilts intended for an individual, it's it's interesting because the whole time I'm making the quilt, I'm thinking about that person. I'm like, wow, that's, that's you know, I can't think of anything that I do where I'm, you know, the thoughts of that person are there the whole time. I think that's witchcraft. Yeah. That's I think that's how curses similar. happen and ghosts. <laughs> Santeria. Yeah. I should have. Should have I should have killed her right there. <laughs> She's thinking like, and it's not happy thoughts. No, every jab of that needle. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's the same way you're supposed to make voodoo dolls. So there's something. My whole quilt is just stuffed with goat heads. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, growing up, we didn't have circuses and carnivals where I come from, but mm. we did have this little thing called the Little World's Fair. That came around for one week, once a year. Did y'all have a, a fair? I live oh, yeah. in a small backwoods country town. Yeah. We actually, we had an interesting thing happen with fairs. The circus used to come to town regularly. And there's then there was all of a sudden this fair. And it tried to show up a week before the, the circus showed up all the time. Because schedule, you know, we're dumb and we just know the circus comes to this area, you know, 
run a frequent base. But there was like this turf war that happened between the circus and the fair that kept showing up. Right. And the fair won out and the circus just stopped coming. So I guess in a way you could say my town had a circus decision. Just cut them out. <laughs> Do you know the difference in a circus and a carnival? Uh, no. Is there one? Carnival has has pagan kind of religious roots. Oh, really? Uh, oh. And a circus is just uh, all the attractions. All the attractions in the circus are under one tent, one round tent, right? Whereas a carnival is more spread out. A carnival is more like a fair. I guess I've only been to carnivals then. I've never been to an actual circuit. No, no, I have. I've been to a big tent. Everything happens. You sit in a circle. Yeah, there's like a pentagram. In the, yeah, no, I've been to a circus too. If you have to do walking at any point, that's probably a carnival or a fair. Oh, wow. Whereas think, a circus is like a sit-down show. I didn't right? know that. That's cool. That's good to know. So like I said, we had the Little World's Fair that came around one week out of every year. And it was always a big deal when I was in middle school. Between the ages of like 10 and I would say like 14, right? 10 and 14. That age mm-hmm. where <clears throat> your parents can drop you off. Yes. <laughs> like a big deal at the fair in middle school the fair was where beefs got squashed you know if you got a problem with bobby from history class because he broke your best fighting pencil with a what we call a corked pencil you was gonna fight him at the fair you were gonna fuck bobby up at the fair that's where that's where it went down was the fair and i don't know if you remember fighting pencils where one guy would hold his pencil like this and i know the listener can't see this. And then the other guy hits his pencil and you try to break each other's pencils. That was a big deal in middle school. And some guys would go home and somehow get the lead out and put a steel rod in there. We call it a cork. And I was cheating. I bet it was. Were you born in the 1800s? Also, did you like hit a wheel down the road with the stick? Was that you? We caught a lot of crawdads in the creek, which I guess would kind of come and play here in a minute. <laughs> same family as, as the guy, crawdads, lobsters. Oh, same yeah, way. I see. Yeah. Good point. Another thing that the fair <laughs> offered that was a big deal to everybody in my hometown was the demolition derby. And it's like mm. a real big deal in my hometown. Still is. Uh, some people spend all year getting their car ready, you know, welding the cages inside and using the finest spray paints to put a massive Confederate flag <laughs> on the station wagon. I remember one dude. When I was in middle school, won like three years in a row, and he was like a local celebrity. And I saw him in a gas station once when I was like 11, and it was like meeting a celebrity. I was like starstruck. I was like, oh, God. Oh, what do I say? It's the guy that's won the demo derby at the local fair three years in a row. It was like a big deal to me. To you, it was a big deal, but also you just kind of ignored the fact that he had CTE from all the impacts. (laughs) He was a showman, too. Was he'd he? get out of his car on the hood and he'd like raise hell. I love the guy. Oh, yeah. There you could you also go. like at the fair, meet up with your girlfriend and walk around and hold hands for like four hours, walking <laughs> past marijuana smoke and crackheads until your parents finally, until your parents finally came and picked you both up and her dad eyeballed you while he spit skull in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a question for you. Because uh, I know which kid I was in this scenario, but which kid were you in this situation? So, like, when did you ever go on like to a dance as a group, like with your friends? No, like you didn't. I went to did a lot you, of dances, but never as a group. Like you, you like your buddies and oh, okay, okay. 
then then uh, this is still applicable question, I guess. When you went to the dance, like I, I would go to the dance in a group, for example, and the girl that I always went with, and I went with a bunch of different people, but it seemed like the girl that I always went with had been dressed by the uh, shopkeeper on Little House on the Prairie, like just... Yeah, like they're all from the Victorian era. Yeah, tied up with fabric (laughs) to the jawline, you know, just like nothing's getting through. Like she couldn't feel wind on any part of her body. And And then my buddies or buddy, there was always, there was always the girl that was like, I'm going to go in this banging dress, you know? And, and I was always like, why do I always get stuck with half pints? And I noticed that the fair is the same way. There was always like your friend, a friend of mine always had the girl that like decided to wear, I don't even know how you find them, but like the shirts that they don't even go over your shoulders. They just cut your boobs in half, you know, kind yeah. of shirt. Tube tops. Yeah, tube top. And like, I was like, where do you find her? Did she come like boxed up with the fair and you came and like picked her to go to the fair? Also, what keeps the boobs from falling out? Those that that's a conversation that we as a society, like science wise, how does how did the boobs not fall out of that? Well, I can answer that question because they didn't. Like, that's why my friend went with her. <laughs> oh. But I was always, I was always the, like, you know, my, my, my date at the fair would always show up in like a, you know, a sweater. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, at our fair, it was a lot of like Dale Earnhardt shirts and Leonard Skinner. And then there were also, of course, the tube tops. Yeah. And, and then, there's also like sprinkled in Aeropostale hoodies and like yeah. Abercrombie and Fitch acid wash jeans and puka shell necklaces. Yeah. See, I grew up in an era where like you were the cool kid if you had the, because original Reebok pumps came out when I was a kid. So Reebok pumps, Benetton was a huge thing back then. Swatch watches had just come out. Um, so, Swatch okay. watches. Is that the thing yeah. where it starts out rigid and then you slap your wrist with it and it goes <laughs> and wraps around your wrist real fast? No. Swatch watches were like uh like a total they they would basically just take the cover with the numbers on it. They would take that off so you could see the inner workings of the watch and then put a clear case on it and stuff. And you thought you were the coolest kid in the world because like your watch had all these moving parts. Every watch has those moving parts. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. 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 Show off. Let me, I'll just round this up because I, this is a pressing question that the world needs to know. When you went to, on dates to these kind of events, were you the guy with the tube top girl or more the guy with the girl that like her mom dressed her to go out? Neither. Oh. Almost every girlfriend I had growing up would, would have been in like an Aeropostale hoodie. Okay. All right. So like, sort of in the middle. In the middle. Yeah. Like an Aeropostale hoodie and some, and some like, Blue jeans. Okay. Respectable. Yeah. Respectable. Yeah. Country okay. respectable. I like Yeah. That. See, and I, yeah. I've always said, I'm like, I'm like, I, like, I was always more attracted to girls in the library than, than like the girls you might find in a bar. I don't know. That was me. I was always like, that's where I would go to find a date, but it's also called stalking apparently. So <laughs> you can't do that. But you know, as a young, young man, young woman in middle school, you learn a lot of things. Yeah. At the fair. I remember learning how they clean the rods at the fair when somebody vomits. I don't know if you've ever witnessed this firsthand, but 
And I saw this and I was horrified because I didn't know this. They stopped the ride. Somebody threw up once on the tilt-a-whirl. Never forget it. And the guy just stopped the ride for a minute, pulled a garden hose out from underneath the ride, sprayed it like it was <laughs> like he was watering flowers, and then he lets it run one time, one circulation, and air dry, just as it's fucking flinging around little chunks of vomit and stuff, watery now, chunks of vomit, <laughs> just lets it air dry one one good run. He figures, hell, it's flying, it'll dry, all that air <laughs> coming in, and then he just filters more people right into it. <laughs> and that's that's how that's, they. I don't know. If that's that's how they did it at the Little World's Fair. I witnessed it firsthand. Wow! And for many of us, you know, <clears throat> it was also probably the first time that we had been around somebody that was not legally allowed to be within 500 feet of a school, and that was interesting. <laughs> and I'm talking, of course, about carnies who were always <laughs> smoking cigarettes and unnecessarily angry. We are so, our, our lives are in their hands. It's so amazing to me. It's always been amazing. The, I, I would wager that, I, I pray that there's a lot of training that goes into that, but I'm going no. to go out on a limb and say there there's is. There's no way. Yeah. They're too right? angry. Yeah. There's too many smoke breaks required to stay in a training program. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> the yearly fair, you know, was one of the best parts of my childhood, and, and, I, and, and I hope it is to this day in my little town. I know it still comes around every year, and I don't know if, much like everything else in the world, it's lost its spark that it once had. I hope that there's still the smell of marijuana in the air and <laughs> young men fighting over love lost from middle school, and I hope that there's still, I don't know, people getting finger-blasted behind the porta johns <laughs> Just boys being made into men and young ladies being made into women and Victims. Demolition derbies and Confederate flags and dip spit and pissed off meth head carnies. It's just fucking, it's just beautiful. There it's are beautiful. a lot of human fluids being exchanged. At there, the was. Fair. there was. <laughs> there was. There wow. was. Yeah. A lot of STDs swapped at, <laughs> World, at the Little World's Fair in, in beautiful Broadhead, Kentucky there. When Jessica goes back to school the next week, she's like, yeah, I found out I got an elephant here. <laughs> like, ooh, I do not want to see that. <laughs> I got syphilis over there by the number three demo car, demolition derby car. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to move on to the story, you know, and, and I want to front load this. I need the audience to know that there's going to be a lot of moving around in this story. So you're going to have to try to keep up. This is a story about a traveling cir circus, a carnival, actually not a circus. A traveling carnival. So that's to be expected. Carnies and, and employees of the carnival, they move a lot. So yeah. try to keep up with me. This story is about a man by the name of Grady Stiles Jr. But before we get to him, let's get into his family. You know, the people that, that ended up breeding him. And we're going to go back two generations to Grady's grandfather named William Stiles, who was born in 1840 and was the first person in the Stiles family to be born with a very rare genetic disorder called, keep up with this, because we're going to say it a lot, ectrodactyly. Try to say that 10 times fast. Ectrodactyly. You slayed that. I've read this word 20 million times over the last two weeks and heard it more than that over the last two weeks. So it's kind of embedded into my brain now. And this is a little bit about ectrodactyly. Uh, it is handed down congenitally. So it's passed down from one parent to their child. So. Me and you, right? We could, me, me and you could fuck. And we could make a baby. 
No, we can't. So you have an op, an op vagina, or I have a a chungus. <laughs> Let's vagina. just leave it at that. It's just called a chungus. You it's put just- your penis in my chungus, <laughs> and I become pregnant with your seed, <laughs> and then I have a baby out of my <laughs> chungus. One falls out of my chungus. Gosh. Even though I don't have ectrodactyly, and even though you don't have ectrodactyly, we could have a child that has ectrodactyly. Oh. But now that that child has ectrodactyly, he or she is like 5,000 times more likely to have a child with ectrodactyly. So after it makes its way into a family, it kind of stays in the family. Creepy. Yeah. And because William Stiles was born with it, he kind of hands that down to, down his bloodline and is still happening to this very day. So the first one was born in 1840. There are young men in the Stiles family in 2022 that have ectrodactyly because of William Stiles. It's pretty interesting. I knew a guy in Alabama, actually, seven foot one, uh, 19 years old, had had it on uh, on his shooting hand for basketball. And that guy, man, I'll tell you what, having that as a perfect perfect construction for shooting a basketball. Like, I don't know where he is today. Probably playing basketball. Well, I just realized that we've been talked in a, talking about ectrodactyly. We haven't even said what it does to the human body. Oh, good that point. Sorry. I got it. It's got also known as lobster claw syndrome, mm. which is what I like about super straight to the point. You can immediately picture probably what's happening here. Now, sometimes it affects the hand and arms. Sometimes it it affects the feet and legs. Sometimes it's it's both. It's really just a luck of the draw. And with the hands, oftentimes with uh, ectrodactyly, the middle finger is completely missing. And then the pinky and the ring finger, right, are fused together. And then the, and I see you doing that with your fingers trying to figure it out. So, yeah. the, so your pinky and your ring finger, listener, hold up your hand. Pretend like your middle finger is missing. Right, so take that out of the equation entirely. Okay. Now, your your ring finger and your pinky finger are are fused together, so they're one thing. Yeah, and then your thumb and your pointy finger are fused together, and now you have little lobster claws on both hands. Be pretty efficient, I would think. Pretty efficient. Somebody with uh, ectrodactyly can pretty much do, as far as hands go, almost all the things that we can do as humans. Yeah. So, makes them look like lobster claws now. It's a different story with the feet and legs. Uh, sometimes it can get a bit more serious. Sometimes it's not as serious. Sometimes the toes are just fused together, and unless they're not wearing shoes, you wouldn't even know that they have it. Uh, and other times, the legs can be completely and entirely deformed. Sometimes at the knee, they start curling up at the knees, right, and gradually getting smaller the closer it gets to the foot, which essentially makes the legs almost useless and almost oh. not there entirely. So uh, that's a bummer. <clears throat> that being said, ectrodactyly can just affect one or the other. You can have ectrodactyly in your in just your arms. You can have it in just your legs, and and some some people get it in both, right? Some, but some people may just get lobster hands and have normal legs and feet. Some may get lobster hands and lobster feet. Some may get lobster hands and absolutely useless legs. I feel like you're a server at a Red Lobster telling me what's available for dinner tonight. Yeah. Uh, is this making you hungry? It's super yeah. hungry. <laughs> I don't know why. That's creepy. I got to go get my head checked. Well, now that we've done a crash course on ectrodactyly, we're going to go back to the Styles family. William Styles, he was the first one to be born with ectrodactyly, like I said. 
He only had it in his hands, completely normal legs, right? But he had he had the lobster hands. To this day, they still have lobster hands. But it wasn't until Grady Styles Jr. came along, the main focus of our story today, that the legs became absolutely useless. Because unlike his father, who had normal legs but lobster hands, Grady Styles Jr. was born with lobster hands. And at his knees, if you look at pictures of him, his knees start curling inward and they get super small and they end in itty bitty tiny little infant feet, even when he's a full grown adult. Almost looks like Deadpool after he gets cut in half and, you know, he starts growing back. But if those little legs that Deadpool had when he was growing back were completely useless. Sort of like uh, geishas when their feet are bound. Yes. And you can look up a picture right now of Grady Styles Jr. while I'm talking about this and and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's plenty of pictures of him. Yeah. Creepy. Now, Grady's father, Grady Styles Sr., entered the sideshow business because of his hand deformities, these the the lobster claws, and he traveled the country in a freak attraction under the moniker of Lobster Man. And uh, at that, he pretty much cemented the employment of his fan- family for generations to come. Even today, descendants of Grady Styles Sr. here um, are still in the in the carnival business, lobster hands. So Grady Styles Sr. charged one nickel for spectators to come and stare at him. Pretty good deal. And his home in the off season was in Pittsburgh. So you know the carnival doesn't run twelve months a year. They shut down in the winter time, and that's going to be important in this story and a little bit too. In the wintertime, you've got a home base, right? Your place where you stay. It's kind of like being a musician, going on tour. you got to have a home base. Mm. And the Styles home base at this point in time was Pittsburgh. And that brings us to the main attraction of today's show, Grady Styles Jr., who was born in Pittsburgh on July 18th, 1937, to Edna and who we have just been talking about, Grady Styles Sr. Now, growing up in Pittsburgh was hard for Grady. Grady Styles Jr. His dad was gone for most of the time. He was out on the road raking in the nickels. You know, local kids <laughs> called him the look. He got bullied a lot, as one would expect. Probably was this, this kid has lobster hands, and he also has he might as well not have any legs whatsoever. Uh, the local kids called him names like Freak, which is super unoriginal and boring, and probably also made up nicknames along the lines of Pinchy McPinchersons. <laughs> Sounds so so. <laughs> Forced. Uh, I would like to say I didn't come up with Pinchy McPinchersons in my in my research. That was me making <laughs> assumptions. Yeah, it's like the girl Janice in high school. We used to call her Janice McSleeps around. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, was she a whore? No, she had um, that disease she where she just falls asleep all the time. Oh, uh, she just slept a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she was a virgin. Just, yeah, totally. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. Now, when Grady Styles Jr. would roll down the street in his wheelchair. <laughs> oh, in the wheelchair. Okay. Yeah. In the, Sorry, I had this visual. It's like kind of a blub blump. Oh, we're going to get a lot of that here in a minute. Don't you worry. I got you. Superstitious women would spit at him as he rolled down the street in his 1940s wheelchair, which one can only assume was slightly heavy and clunky. Everything was heavy in the 1940s, it seems. You ever had to move like an armoire from the 40s? 
They built those out of whatever they build Sherman tanks out of. <laughs> it's literally Sherman tank parts. I had a business that started in a, uh, inc- a business incubator one time, a tech incubator, and they got all of the furniture donated from the U.S. Air Force nearby. Jesus. And so we had all these like mint green desks that weighed 700 pounds. Yeah. Oh, I'm very well-versed in uh, that, that era of furniture. <laughs> so you can imagine how heavy then a 1940s wheelchair would be, something that had to be metal, yeah. mostly metal. Anyways, the superstitious woman would spit at him as a young child because they were terrified that the ectrodactyly essence would like seep into their vaginas, into the, right into their chungus, <laughs> right there on the street, and like taint their baby factory with little crustaceans. Gross. So, so. gross. This bullying and mocking uh, and fear that his physical appearance brought on resulted in Grady Styles Jr. having horrible anger and temper issues all throughout his childhood, all throughout his adulthood, all the way up until the day that he died. Now, just because the ectrodactyly had left him with lobster claws for hands and legs that, like I said, began to like shrivel up at the knee and turn inward, it did not mean that Grady Styles Jr. was like weak and, and feeble. Uh, many people described him as faster on his hands than most people were on their feet. And he also was able to play baseball and, and rot. So mm. we're not talking Good. about some little, it's not Mr. Glass, right? From Unbreakable. Yeah, right. Also, as, 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 and this is jumping ahead a little bit, we're still in the childhood here, but when he got older, he was barrel chested, super barrel chested and broad. So this is a very, he grows into a very strong, very strong, very capable upper body wise man. Hmm. Interesting. Now, in 1951, oh, the oh, fucking all weird. Fifteen minutes in what? Go ahead. The old 98, (laughs) 98, huh? No, 51. I know what you're thinking. No, not 98. You know, 1951. Um, they call it the 98. It's uh, 1950. The 1951 wheat penny. If there's no mint dat cast, there's no mint emblem on that wheat penny. It's very rare, very collectible. They call the 98 because they're worth about 98 bucks. <laughs> there's there's a lot of them. 98 bucks. Yeah, 1951 is known as the old 98 to most of the world. It's not, almost not even worth mentioning. <laughs> I would, so, 98 so, bucks? Yeah, you're right. So common. So common. Everybody, I probably shouldn't have, you're right. I shouldn't have mentioned it. If you have seven of them, that. you could buy a new TV. You could. And I do if have you could seven find a of buyer. Them. Yeah, they're all over the place, those buyers. Crazy. Good information, Op. Thank you. In 1951, yeah. Grady Styles Sr., the father of Grady Styles Jr., so Grady Styles Jr.'s father, gets a job as, quote, lobster man, unquote, for a traveling carnival company called Royal American Shows. And they were based in Tampa, Florida during the winter months. So Royal American Shows, the carnival, their home base, so to speak, during the winter months was in Tampa, Tampa, Florida. Now, because of the fact that Royal American Shows was based in Tampa, Florida, Lobster Man moves his lobster family down to 2810 Clark Street in Tampa, Florida, and that becomes the uh, Styles family home base now. They're, they're in the carnival business. Op. They're going to they're gonna do the carnival full-time. Committed full-time. Yeah. Now, the small little yellow duplex... At 2810 Clark Street in Tampa, Florida is still there now. So that's kind of fun. That's interesting. Now, Gibtown, Florida, known locally as Gibtown to the locals, was very, very close to Tampa, Florida. Gibtown back then was known as the like hotspot 
for off-season carnivals and freak shows. Would have been a really wild place to live, I would imagine, in in the mid-1900s. Kind of like Lake Havasu. I I get the impression that this place, because it was, and I don't know why, but it was chosen. I remember hearing that Gibtown, Florida is the only, had the only post office where there was a a counter for midgets, little people, for little people, Ah, for small people. That's interesting. Well, it's convenient. Also very, very um, progressive. Progressive, I was going to say, yeah. So, Gibtown, Florida, all the uh, all the people from the freak shows across the United States, they would crash here in the winter. Um, this was home base for carnivals, circuses, and freak shows. I would imagine it was probably like living in like Erie, Indiana. You remember that show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like living in like a, a Stephen King book, probably a lot of oddities and things. Uh, I remember reading or I either read or saw a documentary where you could go down the street in Gibtown, Florida, in the like 60s, 70s, and seeing like a two-headed cow chained to a tree wasn't out of the ordinary. Yeah, and the visual I have is like the camera angle is like almost down at the ground level, and it's slow. Every time you walk down the sidewalk, it's slow motion, and there's like the guy on stilts walking by you, looking down at you, and you know... That that song is just playing from nowhere and everywhere, everywhere, omnipresent. Yes, there's a clown on a unicycle that just goes down the street like juggling bowling pins, like nobody asks any questions. You don't even look twice. No, you don't, and nobody asks how does he actually subsist because he never gets off the bike, doesn't seem to eat any food. It's you know weird. He's on his way to the grocery store. Always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's an alligator man on a skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have any legs. Just moving around. Oh, that's Gator Boy. You yeah, ever notice, though, every carnival always has the guy that you're like, why are you part of the carnival? Like, he doesn't, like, there's really not much to him. It's like, you know, mustache man or something. Yeah, amazing but, normal guy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, the attraction is him on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally he scratches his forehead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. There's always that guy. Picks a gray hair from his beard. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so like I said, because the uh, the styles are in the Carnival business full time, they moved down to Tampa, Florida here right next to Gibtown. Now in 1954, when Grady Styles Jr. was seven years old, his father forces him to drop out of school and join him on the road as a sideshow attraction under the name of Lobster Boy. So, you know, his dad is Lobster Man. So Grady uh. Styles Jr. naturally lobster boy Naturally. and uh he, he his dad makes him join the royal american shows in a t- in what they called a 10 in one now you're probably wondering like you know kent chung is like what in the heck and fuck was a 10 in one <laughs> what was a 10 in one and i've got you now a 10 in one show was a pretty good deal for a dime it, w- it was kind of like a little bitty miniature circus but at a carnival it was all under one tent and it usually had 10 it had 10 acts under one tent and it fe- it featured it, it, it almost always featured at least one freak um, and sometimes musical acts illusion acts and several working acts now there was variations in the 10 and one sometimes you would have like six freaks two musical acts two illusions sometimes you would have like three freaks four musical acts one illusion two working acts it just depended on who you were able to get 
to join you on your 10 and 1, right? Just depending mm-hmm. on what show you were seeing. There was also a merch booth underneath uh, the 10 and 1 tents that sold oddities that matched the performers. So with the freaks, anything pertaining to, to freaks, I, and I'm going to use the word freak a lot this episode, and if that makes you mad, I guess just don't let it, just <laughs> don't be mad about it. Just stop. <laughs> just be like, I'm not going to be mad about that, and then stop being mad about it. And now we can move on. So easy. <laughs> yeah. So they, they would sell. That's what the, that's what this was called back then. Yeah. It was a right. freak show. That was literally what it was called. That was the word freak show. So they would have merch that would match the freaks. For example, if they had the world's smallest man, they might have imprints in plaster of his little bitty feet that he would sign. I know that Lobster Man sold pictures that he had autographed. Um, anything really pertaining to freaks. Uh, and by that, I mean, it, they weren't just in this merch store. They weren't just selling T-shirts with Billie Eilish on them. <laughs> right. Everybody under the tent had lines. So you would pay your dime. You would step in. People would be performing. There would be the one area of the tent for the, quote, freaks, unquote. And uh, the freaks would they had a script that they would read. And I've actually got a copy of Grady Jr.'s father's script. The lobster man, he was called, like we already said. This is what he said. I'm going to do this in a... Kentucky accent? In a Valley Girl accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is probably close to what the Lobster Man I'm going to do this in, in, in what I think maybe the Lobster Man sounded like. Because we do have audio and video of Lobster Boy. But Lobster Man kind of came in at a time when cameras and audio recordings were just finding their footing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is what maybe what he sounded like. Being from... Being from Pennsylvania and being a, a grown man with normal man lungs and, <laughs> and a normal man throat and mouth. Yeah, all that. Um, <laughs> so this was Lobster Man's script. Quote, ladies and gentlemen, I am Grady Styles, the monster man. I am the product of a genetic condition which has run in the Styles family since 1840. In some scientific circles, it is known as ectrodactyly. Ectrodactyly is a genetic condition affecting 1 in 90,000 at birth. So I guess I'm kind of lucky. <laughs> a baby is born with the absence of the third digit and the fusion of the remaining fingers and toes into claws. Sometimes it affects all four limbs, and sometimes they have normal legs. <laughs> Creepy. That was some somewhere along that. <laughs> this sounds very interesting. Oh, so my goodness. now, Lobster Boy, which is you know Grady Styles Jr. As he aged, he also got insanely strong in his upper body. Like I said, and this was the reason he got so strong is because he was always having to use his upper body to maneuver around. Right. You know, anytime you have to move, you have to like people in wheelchairs also super strong in their upper body from doing donuts and stuff. <laughs> Burnouts makes you super totally. strong. <laughs> yeah. And no different with lobster boy. So lobster boy, he was, he was, uh, f- f- um, free, freakishly strong. Yeah. Now, he could not form a fist, but uh, he was perfectly capable of clubbing the ever-living shit out of somebody <laughs> with his claws. And people who had been hit by Grady compared it to being struck with a two-by-four. Oh, enough people got struck by Grady. Uh, it's very common. He hit a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yes, very short-tempered, very angry man. Wow. 
He was very big on being dominant over people. Grady mm-hmm. Styles Jr. was, and it probably stems from his, you know, condition. When he met somebody new, he insisted on a handshake, and then he would use his like freakish strength. That he would use like the freakish strength in his lobster pinchers, mm-hmm. um, and he would crush the other person's hand. That's so unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. What I'm getting at up uh, is that Grady Styles Jr. grew up into a real son of a bitch. Yeah, he sounds like he's got some pent up rage. Maybe some of it's understandable, but yes, definitely pent up rage. Delta bad claw. <laughs> uh, well oh my goodness he got in fights a lot believe it or not and he had a fighting move that worked every single time most of the time his secret fighting move was to to knock the other party to the ground and then while they were falling he would wiggle over like really fast on his on his claws really quickly and then crawl on top of their legs pinning their legs to the ground, and he would start violently headbutting the fuck out of their stomach and chest area. And then <laughs> when they were just struck with this horror that was happening to them, he would wrap his claws around their throat and start choking them until they went unconscious. And this is <laughs> possibly the most horrifying thing that I can possibly imagine. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Also... Like, what age was he known to do this at? So this started out happening around, like, 17, 17, and it was a movie used his whole life. Yeah, because, see, I don't know. Like, your brain's not fully formed at that point still, and to have to have a, a very foreign individual, you know, someone with for- just looks foreign to do all that to you it would add to the fact that you're getting totally trounced. You know what I mean? I want to put a scenario for you in here. Okay, uh, okay. Imagine, if you will, right? You're standing. You know, you're you're at the you're at the carnival, happy place. You're in a good mood. It's and and you you accidentally you don't notice him sitting there on the ground, and you accidentally cut him in line trying to get a corn dog, right? You just want a fucking corn dog. Yeah. You accidentally cut Grady Styles Jr. in line. You're not, and you don't do it on purpose. You just don't notice, right? You're standing there. In line, you're smiling, bobbing your head to the, right. to the carnival music that's ringing through the air. And the air is filled with the sense of like popcorn and temperature is perfect. It's good and cool. Not too cold, though. The skies are clear. It's right at the cusp of dusk. Yeah. Lots are beautiful from the rides and children are laughing. You're just waiting for a fucking corn dog. And then all <laughs> of a sudden, you get this aggressive pull at your pants leg and turn around and nobody's standing there. Yeah. And before you get the chance to look down, you're all confused. You're knocked to the ground by this incredibly strong force. And while you're falling, you see this fleshy lobster with a human head and fucking death in its eyes, (laughs) anxiously and quickly making its way over to you, like really quick while scooting on the ground. Now, this, this image alone would be enough for you to seek therapy but but the guy then crawls up on your legs and pins them to the ground and starts viciously headbutting you in the chest and stomach. You know, in your head and probably verbally, you're screaming, what is happening? How have I angered God so? What planet is this? Am I having a nightmare? Just a moment ago, everything was okay. Just a moment ago, monsters didn't exist. I am somehow being attacked by a sea creature but I am in the middle of landlocked Indiana. 
Please wake me up. All you can do is scream, and then those fleshy fucking pinchers find their way around your throat, and you faint, not from strangulation, but from the sheer agonizing horror of it all. That was an amazing outline of that experience. Like, I was thinking about it as you were talking. I'm like, would I be more scared of that or, like, watching the movie The Ring alone? And I think that beats The Ring. Yes. You would definitely need therapy. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 1956. At 19 years old, Grady Styles Jr. gets his own place at 2829 Marconi Street in Tampa, Florida. And uh, if you look at that now, it's a leveled field and is on the property of Kim Trade Logistics. So that place no longer exists. So he's 19. He's got a joint of his own. And on November 3rd, 1956, he applies for a marriage license with a 21-year-old showgirl baton twirler by the name of Jean Marie Stoy. Now, this information was never mentioned mentioned in anything that uh, that I that I read. It wasn't mentioned in anything in any other podcast, in any documentary. I was able to dig this up in an extremely old newspaper. And I guess it wasn't a very huge part of his life, but I do know that in no- on November 3rd, 1956, he marries a, a young lady, a showgirl by the name of Jean Marine Stoy. Uh, I have no idea how the relationship ended. I don't know how they met. Um, nothing. I just know that he, he, he did eventually marry this girl and divorced her. He sounds like such an angry individual. Makes you wonder, like, what did she see in him? Was was he did was he making decent money at this time? Yes, they did make comfortable wages. They were they. Okay. Um, I actually, and I remember reading. I think that they were making, if if memory serves, they were making somewhere around what would today be considered around fifty thousand a year. Okay, so respectable wage. Yes. So he marries this young lady, this baton twirler, um, and on November 3rd, 1956, they get divorced soon after, I'm assuming, because by 1958, at 22 years old, he is single again. And in 1958, he meets a 19-year-old beautiful brunette by the name of Mary Teresa Herzog. And he meets her at a carnival op called The World of Mirth. Now, the reason that Mary Teresa Herzog was at The World of Mirth she had ran away from home to get away from her uh, uh, abusive, uh, molesting stepfather. Ew. So that's so that's that. Essentially, that's... she ran off and joined the circus. So was this? I don't know. In your research, was this a common thing? Because I know I know today it's probably a lot less common to just like up and join the circus. But it seemed like back then it was more common. More common. Yes. Yes. Mary Teresa Herzog though couldn't be in like a freak show. Because she had all of her uh, fingers and toes. They weren't fused together or really, really small. She had a regular human human body. Zero uh, percent lobster, as they say. The only beard she had would, was where it was supposed to be. Yeah, because this is the 58. So everybody yeah. had a pants beard. Yeah. Lady yeah. Darden. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, she was apparently, um, uh, there's a lot of pictures of her as an older lady. But, I mean, as a young lady, according to everybody, she was a beautiful, beautiful woman, beautiful brunette, Mary, Mary Teresa Herzog. Now, a little bit about the world of mirth. Not a, not a, not a big deal in the grand scheme of, of this story, but the world of mirth carnival, uh, it was considered to be the world's largest carnival 
and it had a northwest, a northeastern route that ran all the way from Virginia to Ottawa, Canada, and they uh, and it existed from 1933 to 1963. So, unless you're wondering, well, what's the World Mirth Car- Carnival? Can yeah, you? I was, well, I was wondering. So now you're wondering now, how did this guy with lobster, this 19 year old guy with, how did 19 year old lobster boy, you know, he's got lobster claws. He doesn't. He he barely has legs. How did he pull this beautiful? 22-year-old brunette if he also has a shit personality. Yeah, right? that's my that's, question. That's what it seems Definitely. like. Uh, turns mm-hmm. out Grady could be charming when he wanted to be, which is kind of typical with an abuser, right? That, yeah. That's a kind of common personality trait. And he used that charm on Mary, and they soon began dating. Now, because Teresa was a, a ticket seller, though, and mm-hmm. Grady Styles Jr., Lobster Boy, was a carnival star, this relationship was like, kind of frowned upon in carnival circles. It was like if Billy Bob Thornton started dating a gas station clerk. There's a hierarchy in the in the carnival, apparently. It's like fraternization yeah. almost. Right. And that also I find that to be kind of kind of weird because from the outside looking in, the carnival seems like a very like a tight family. Like it's hard to get into the family of carnival. Like she she you know, sometimes life's hard and you want to go somewhere where everybody just knows your name, right? Where everybody knows your name. Yeah. It's Mary. She's not getting raped in the circus. Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, <laughs> now, because of this hierarchy, because Teresa was a piss on and she didn't, as far as they were concerned, she didn't rate dating the lobster boy. Teresa needed to work her way up the ladder, right? To make the relationship acceptable in the eyes of all the marble smoking carnies. Right. And the amazing bearded woman. Mm-hmm. She soon got promoted to bally girl and a bally girl or a bally guy. They were just chirpers. You know what a chirper is? Stand outside the tent. Come on, come on. Come and see the amazing frog child. Oh, like a carnival barker. Or a, yeah. A, so a chirper's a barker. Okay. Annoying people, you know, just annoying people as they walk by. They're, you're eating yeah. cotton candy, you're enjoying the lights, and then there's this person all up in your fucking grill. Come and see this dude that can shit marbles. Trying to get all those warm bodies inside that hot, stuffy tent. Could you imagine the application process, the interview during that one? It's like, so what are you doing? Just get, hold on, give me a minute. Give me, hold on. Oh, oh. Okay, I just need 13 minutes now. <laughs> and then there's just that noise of marble hitting a mason jar bottom. <laughs> clink, 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 clink. <laughs> Peed a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like marbles in soup. <laughs> Uh, basically, a chirper is like the 1959 version of those people that were at those little kiosks in the mall in the middle when mall still existed, <laughs> and they're always yeah. trying to get you to rub lotion on your <laughs> like neck. Yeah, come and smell this. I was just talking about those in uh, the other podcast. How they always had an accent because we're suckers as, as Americans, right? So they're like, "Ah, oh, you want me to exfoliate in the ah? Feels good, doesn't it? You want to buy yeah. it?" <laughs> We're like, I love your accent. I'll buy, I'll take three. It's an Indian. <laughs> <laughs> this is passed down from many generations. It comes from a, the spirit of a horse. <laughs> Those kiosk people always, uh, I, I hated them. Yep. I'm just in here because there's a great hot topic. <laughs> I don't need you. <laughs> 
I really love the uh, Spencer's here. Please, I'm not here. I'm not out for lotion. I'm trying to get a a good Charlotte T-shirt. One of those electro balls where you put your fingers on it. Yeah, <laughs> and a little rubber toy. dicks in a bag for some reason. Like, <laughs> exactly. Only place where you can get that is at Spencer's. Oh. Only place. So from Bally Girl, uh, Mary made her way up to the Blade Box Girl. And that is just a, you know, she would get in a box while a likely like drunk or high gentleman slams knives, swords, <laughs> and long blades into it while she like contorts to avoid catching a gut wound. <laughs> right. <laughs> or getting winged. Yeah. And then from Blade Box Girl, she made it to Electrified Girl. So she would be strapped to a specially designed electric chair that is high in voltage below an amperage. And they claim she had been struck by lightning and survived. And because of this lightning strike, she had special powers. But like I said, because it's high in amperage, low in voltage, it's virtually painless, but does have a lot of cool little side effects. You know, one of the gimmicks is that you can put a specially made light bulb up to her skin and it would light up. Sparks fly. A lot of cool little stuff, but it's anything. It's something that anybody could do. They yeah. sat in this chair. It's like buying the the electric ball at Spencer's. You look like a wizard, but you know, yeah, she, she probably never even seen lightning <laughs> from that little room where her dad had her. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I need to yep. back away from that quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. After uh, she after she landed the role of electrified girl, as far as the uh, the the carny hierarchy was concerned, she was now a high enough carny rank to date general lobster boy, public wow. in everybody's eyes. So they she made it. Good job. <laughs> she reached her prize of this lobster boy Ugh. after a lot of hard work, and after she she meets. She, she After she attains her prize, she moves in with him at his place there in Tampa at 2829 Marconi Street. <clears throat> now, she also gets a job at a shrimp factory called Versagi Shrimp Co. in Tampa during the winter months, you know, during the carnival off-season. Lobster Boy, and by the way, Versagi Shrimp Co. is still there. Pretty cool. Lobster Boy probably hated this, you know, that his, his girlfriend is working at a shrimp joint. Shrimp being closely related to lobsters and all. <laughs> you know, crustaceans stick together. Do. You know what they say. You fight one, you got to fight them all. You know, that stereotype <laughs> about do. lobsters. Super true. I don't believe that, though. I do. I do. <laughs> Crabs in a bucket, you know, they say. Uh, after they moved in together, Lobster Boy became pretty abusive pretty much immediately. He was a raging alcoholic. He would get hammered to the gill. <laughs> took me a second <laughs> good one he would get hammered he would get hammered on seven and sevens that was his drink his, his booze drink of choice and that's just a mixture of Seagram seven whiskey and seven up and uh, seven up uh, I recently made a post about this on Facebook the most disgusting soft drink on the planet Basically, just a slightly lemony Alka Seltzer. Although I, I, I have to, uh, I have to address something really quick. You also said on Facebook that you can't, uh, you can't understand why anyone would drink anything other than water. I, I like a good cold Coke, Coca Cola. Oh, oh, okay, okay, All right. but I do prefer water over anything. Yes, ice cold water, and I'm by no means a health nut. 
Um, I still eat super unhealthy, but uh, I guess I was <laughs> blessed in terms of drink preference because I do like yeah. just ice water. It's, I was going to say, that's that's great. That's good. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I mean, often you will mark on me either heading to or coming from a gas station for what you would call lunch there. And I just assumed, I guess, you know, that you're always drinking like, you know, Red Bulls or Bangs or something like that. <clears throat> no, it's usually I've, what I've got coming back from the gas station is like four of those buffalo chicken things that are on the rollers, the hot rollers that sit there for nine hours and roll while a cockroach crawls over them. <laughs> I've got like nine of those. Yeah. And then maybe an, a, a, a pre-made cheeseburger that sits under those lamps. Gross. Yeah. And then like a smart water. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, you're not the guy who goes in and buys that one banana that's there. <laughs> that one brown <laughs> banana that can only be used to make banana bread. That's its only use. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So Lobster Boy would get shithoused on these seven and sevens, and he would beat Teresa mercilessly. But he would only he was smart enough to only hit her on the body so that the bruises and claw marks wouldn't show on her face. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was seriously like living with a drunk, angry lobster. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> it's the giant, drunk, angry lobster. That's what this late, poor lady was dealing with. So similar to watching SpongeBob SquarePants. Yes. Teresa is SpongeBob Lobster Boy's Mr. Krabs. Yes. Yeah. On June 20th, 1960, they have a daughter by the name of Margaret. Now, the, the name Margaret came after one of Lobster Boy's sisters who had died when she was 17. Never could figure out. I dug and dug and dug in the newspaper databases how Margaret died, but I know she died young and she died in Tampa, Florida at 17 years old. But anyways... They named their daughter Margaret after uh, Lobster Boy's sister. However, little Margaret died of pneumonia at 26 days old. So named after a young lady that died young and Margaret died younger. So fitting name, I guess. They don't know what, how how she died or what. what Pneumonia. Oh, pneumonia. Pneumonia. The the baby died of pneumonia. Yes. Oh, Oh, man. In October 1961, their second child, a little boy by the name of David, is born. He dies of pneumonia at 28 days old. So Jeez he made it two days longer than Margaret did and died of pneumonia as well. Are they are they having these babies in like a meat locker or something? That's a good question. I mean, it is the winter months. They're probably living in a drafty trailer. I grew up in a trailer. Not a, not a lot of good insulation in trailers, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But in 1964, so three years after little David dies, 1964, their third child and the first one to survive to adulthood Donna was born, and Donna is actually born without ectrodactyly. Oh, without it. Okay. And for whatever reason, this made Lobster Boy kind of hate her. Uh-huh. Wait, okay. So I, I, I might have missed that part. I was stuck on the fact that they the babies had passed away. Did both of the other babies have it? That I couldn't find. Okay. That information right. I couldn't find. Uh, because they died so young, it just wasn't mentioned. I, yes. I don't know. But uh, we do know that Don Donna's still alive today. She was born without electric. She was born with normal arms and, and legs. And like I said, Lobster Boy hated her. You know, he'd see her he'd see her walking around with five fingers and five toes on normal sized feet like she's some kind of fucking hot shot. Fuck her. Oh my god. <laughs> I just I think I might have said it before, but when you swear, uh it's 
often, sometimes, okay, I'll say often. I, I sound, I sound like my 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 ability to filter swearing is getting worse, better and better. But when you swear, I put it in the same category as like listening to Australians or Irish people swear. It doesn't hit like like it's bad, which <laughs> sounds. <laughs> Is it because I do it so much? I don't know. No, it's not because like I, there are some movies where I'm like, oh, just stop swearing, you know, because they're, they're swearing just to swear. Yeah. Like, uh, did you ever see the movie Phone Booth? Yeah. With Colin Farrell. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Like the movie starts out swearing and there's so many F words in it. I'm just like, just stop. Okay. I get it. You're trying to be edgy. Like Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street almost did that for me. I try to use mine in effective ways. Yes, I try and to I, insert them tastefully for comedic value. And so I'll simultaneously say thank you and finger wag you. But I'm not going to finger wag you too much because apparently I'm looking at, did you know we have exit interviews on Patreon? I did not, no. Yeah, when people leave Patreon, they can tell us why they're leaving. And I did, I read them the other night and then I didn't fall asleep till 5 a.m. because I was so sad. Yeah. But... One of the big reasons that people, uh, well, not not everybody, but there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't like the fact that the operator's constantly telling people they shouldn't swear and he's beeping them out and stuff like that. So I'm not going to, actually, I'm not going to finger wag you. I'm just going to say, I don't hear it as much when you swear Yeah, so what anymore. you're saying is that people fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so keep on keeping on because the hymns, I don't know what you've done, but the hymns seem to have faded away. The F word has drowned out the hymns. Oh, gosh. I don't know what's happening. So little Donna survives. We are now in 1965, and it is in this year that uh, Lobster Boy, Grady Styles Jr., and Teresa get a trailer together in Gibsonton, Florida. Gibtown, you know, the freak show headquarters that I was talking mm-hmm. about. The fun place to live. I would have loved to have lived there. In like the 60s, 70s. It would have been awesome, as a, especially as a kid. Yeah. It's like living in a carnival as a kid, like a whole town. Now that they're living together, <clears throat> Grady would stay away. He would be he would binge drink for days on end. And he could often either be found at a place called Harry's Bar there in Gibsonton, which I'm assuming no longer exists because I looked and looked for this place, and I could find no such place named by that. However, his other his other favorite bar was called Showtown Bar and Grill, and it was and is located at 10902 Highway 41 South in Gibsonton. It's still there to this day and still relatively unchanged. So here's an interesting thing, because that na- that that town name sounded so familiar to me. I was like, I feel like I've we've I've covered this or something. And yes, it turns out if you've ever heard uh, Night Guide, which was one of Jack and my of early shows where uh, I actually don't believe I was the operator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Episode one, we cover the guy that, that murders the girl and cuts her arms off, Larry Singleton. He's from Gibbs, Gibson Town. Okay. Yeah. So, and the, which they called Gibb Town now, which is that place. I knew I had heard that name. So anyway. So like I said, you know, Lobster Boy would be binge drinking for days on end at one of these two bars. And Teresa would later say that on the days that Grady Grady did finally roll in from binge drinking, he usually would pass out in his own vomit and piss in the hallway of the trailer before making it to the bedroom. So there's just this lump of a man 
in the way in the hallway, which would be very inconvenient. You know, you can't move him like a normal man because it's awkward weight. He's very top heavy. Yeah. Because he's all top. <laughs> so I guess that's just heavy. Just heavy. <laughs> that's what it's oh my gosh. And they lived this way for nine years before getting married. So Teresa, married Teresa, she's she's getting the hell beat out of her by this alcoholic lobster for nine years. And then she says, be a good time right now to marry this fella. <laughs> wow. December 4th, 1968, their fourth child. And a lot of people will say that I just did some victim blaming. <laughs> December 4th, 1968, their fourth child and second to survive to adulthood was born because, you know, they've already they've had four kids, but only one of them has survived so far. Yes. Right. Uh, so this is the fourth one, second to survive, was born. And she was the first one of, of the kids to survive that was born with ectrodactyly, just like her father. They were na- they named her Kathy. And Kathy was born almost, her body is almost identical to Grady's. She has the same, exact same hands and the exact same legs. And they named her um, Kathy? Named her Kathy. Weird. I yeah. would have thought maybe when they would have named her Eileen. Oh, yeah, but they didn't lean. They're in wheelchairs. You lean when one of your legs sucks. Well, yeah, but I roll. I roll just doesn't sound like a name. Oh, yeah. Teresa, you know, even though they've been married for nine years, they've been together for nine years at this point. She's still getting knocked around on the regular. And she was always suffering at the claws of Grady Styles Jr. <laughs> so hard to. But fortunately for Mary, she eventually catches the eye of a sweet, loving, caring, funny, good-natured guy by the name of Harry Glenn Newman. But I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't point out one thing about Harry Glenn Newman. Harry Glenn Newman was also at the Sideshow Attractions as one of the freaks. And uh, his stage name was Midget Man. Oh, because he was two foot, 10 inches tall. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when I say she caught his eye, I mean, it was probably because she was said to have had absolutely beautiful shins. <laughs> and I made that last part up. In that day and age, you know, women wore really long dresses. So there was a problem when you when your ankles showed with all the little people just, you know, getting aroused all the time. Yeah. <laughs> He was two foot, 10 inches tall. He rememorized people by their shins. I can't even go out anymore. It gets better, though, uh, because midget man, Harry Glenn Newman, had originally been a welder by trade. So anytime you needed like two metals fused together at knee level, he was your guy. (laughs) However, the constant welding eventually led to respiratory issues. And this pushed him out of the welding trade and into the freak shows. I wonder when so. he started welding, if like, you know, because every business needs capital. Like he goes to his friends and family's like, let, let me tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on the ground floor. Because <laughs> that's where I'm at. All my welding. Well, with all that being said, now, despite his hot. Harry Glenn Newman or Midget Man. I'm going to call him Midget Man for the rest of the story, and I'm going to do that with all of these characters because it's easier to remember who they are. Okay. I say Lobster Boy, you know immediately who I'm talking Instantly, about. Instantly, I say right. Midget Man, you know immediately who I'm talking about. So, 
Midget man, although he was very small, two foot ten inches tall, he was able bodied. I mean, he wasn't disabled. Disabled, you know, he had working leg. You know, a lot of times, uh, very very small people like that are sometimes like stuck in a wheelchair. Um, he was perfectly capable, mobile, um, could walk around and throw darts. Um, <laughs> yep, just. Claw machines. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if every time he's walking around and has to pick something off the floor, everybody around's like, oh, yeah, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh. <laughs> I love the old joke. Uh, imagine how terrible a crowded elevator smells to this guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> The relationship between Teresa and Midget Man was, uh, I mean, it was completely innocent at first. But one night after a booze-fueled fight, Lobster Boy throws Teresa and their two children out into the cold. It's kind of, it's really sad. He throws her out, he gets hammered, throws her and the kids out. One of them uh, disabled. One of them, you know, she has lobster claws and hardly any legs. She just He just abandons them out on the front porch. And it's then that she seeks refuge with Midget Man at his trailer. Wow. Midget Man, Harry Glenn Newman, eventually moves Teresa and their kid and and her two kids to Ohio, which is his hometown, to live with his mother. And he comes with her. And the two of them eventually fall in love and start dating. So now Teresa's with Midget Man and two foot ten inch Midget Man. Uh her 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 and her two kids are living with Midget Man in Ohio and his mother with his mother and they're in love and everything is great. Good. Finally. Now Midget Man ended up opening up a tire business there in Ohio and it was very successful. Um, they had good income. The two of them were living together happily. Um, he had a growing successful business. Uh, they were in love. Life was good for Teresa and the children. The children also loved Midget Man. Mm. He took care of them. It was, it was just a good life. She was living the good life. Yeah. But in 1973, while she was away in Ohio, living the American dream with her kids, uh, Midget Man and his mother, who they called the Amazing Normal Sized Woman. <laughs> it's probably about five foot five, five, six. So while they're living with, uh, with his mom, Lobster Boy is back in Gibsonton, Florida, filing for divorce. Now, this is the 70s. We don't have the internet. We don't have any of that shit. So because Mary was completely unaware of the divorce filings and court dates, she never showed up for any of those court dates. And Grady, Lobster Boy Styles Jr. was awarded full custody of both of their children. Hmm. Lobster Boy shows up randomly at their home in Ohio one day with all of the legal paperwork saying that the kids had to come with him. He snatches them, literally said that he physically picked them up with his claws and just threw them into the vehicle and brings them back with him to Florida. So Lobster Boys just rolled in, snatched the kids, and left Mary sitting there holding her husband. <laughs> this is so hard to get through. <laughs> Better you than me, though. <laughs> 1974, the next year. Teresa ends up getting pregnant by Midget Man, and she gives birth to a little boy by the name of Harry Glenn Newman Jr., or as they would call him, Glenny. Now, Glennie was a normal-sized boy and grew up into a normal-sized man. He didn't 
have any of the uh, midget man jeans. He had yeah. normal size jeans. God. Levi's. <laughs> Probably a 33, the waist. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lobster Boy marries an alcoholic, extremely unattractive, and unbelievably stupid carny by the name of Barbara Browning. Now, Barbara Browning was said to chain smoke, binge drink, and had extremely stringy black hair and a sunken face. Basically, just picture like a lifelong meth addict that worked as a carny. Uh, basically, just picture a carny. Okay. <laughs> We're going to call her Carney Barb for the rest of this story, like I said, so that characters are easier to remember. So we've got now Carney Barb, who is married to Lobster Boy. We have Midget Man, who is married to Mary. And I think that's it so far. Right? Uh, yeah. Okay, my cheeks hurt. Lobster Boy immediately starts beating the hell out of Carney Barb regularly with his <laughs> pinchers. He headbutts her and bruises her legs with his wheelchair, wheelchair just as he had Teresa. Yeah. Uh. So early 1976, now 39-year-old Lobster Boy moves his two daughters, as well as his 25-year-old chain-smoking alcoholic Carney wife, back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to a trailer that was located at 511 Forland Street. Now, it is now, uh, I looked it up, it's now a, it's a parking lot. It's just a parking lot. Nothing there now, but it was a little trailer there in 1976 and what is now a parking lot at 511 Forland Street. And on July 26, 1976, not long after that move, old Carney Barbop, she gives birth <laughs> to Lobster Boy's third child, a boy, whom they named Grady Styles the Third. Now, Grady Styles the Third was born with Ectrodactyly as well, just okay. like Lobster Boy. So Lobster Boy was certainly excited uh, as as one could possibly be at the birth of this new crustacean. Grady the Third was born with the disorder affecting both his hands and legs, much like his father. I'm guessing this probably didn't come up in your research, but. You would think that that would be one where they'd like want to scramble pretty quick to kind of figure out like, how does this keep happening and how could we stop it? And I'm not saying that. I know that there are people out that are like, oh, you know what? Maybe maybe they're handy capable and they don't want to stop this. You know, there's those people. But this this is definitely debilitating, you know? And if it science is, could uh, stop but, it. You know, one thing that I come across time and time again with, with Lobster Boy here with Grady Styles Jr., he was extremely excited every time he had a child born with this condition. It was as if he really wanted to pass that part of his genes down. Right. Very adamant about that. And we find out later that it's for monetary gain because he wants to start the lobster family uh, circus. Oh, he wants to do a carnival thing. Attraction. Ah. Yeah, see, see, right there. I mean, obviously, he's got an ulterior motive, which, but, you know, I think just globally, it would be a nice thing if. Maybe we start race for the lobster or something, you know, something that maybe we could cure. You know, I recently purchased a blue lobster for our aquarium. How's that going? He's my favorite thing to watch. I love yeah. him. My daughter named him Blueberry. Sometime you and I should have the whole conversation we had before we started recording about your axolotl and post that. because that I could talk like about that axolotl for hours. Sounds like a nightmare. It is a nightmare. <laughs> it's more work than taking care of a newborn. <laughs> it reminds me of gremlins, you know, like don't get them wet, you yeah. know, all the things. Yeah, you can't look at it too hard or it'll die. <laughs> you just got to walk by the room and like really fucking quick. You just got to look at it real quick and then 
keep running or too much eye contact, fucking die. Oh my gosh. Can't eat around it. Salt gets in the <laughs> air, kills it. It's got peanut allergies, I think. But my blue lobster, I love that guy. I call him Henry, but my daughter named him Blueberry, and he's my favorite. I love that oh. guy. I love feeding him. He walks around. He checks stuff out. He's got his pinchers. He doesn't beat anybody. I wonder he, uh, if blue lobsters, do they turn red? No, he'll be blue his entire life. Oh, do they turn red if you cook them? And when they're cooked. Yeah, because yeah, I don't know if a lot of people know that. Lobsters in, in natural environment in the ocean are not red. Really? You knew that, Op. Come on. You knew that. The, well, I knew that they were kind of brown. Yeah, they turn red. They only turn red after you cook them. Yeah. I just Googled it. When a lobster is cooked in a pot of boiling water, the heat breaks down the blue and orange proteins in the shell, leaving just the bright red skin. So most likely that blue lobster would be red when it's boiled. There's also a myth surrounding cooking lobsters that they scream when you put them in the water, but that's actually the uh, air escaping from inside their body oh. through the cracks in their <laughs> shells from the immense heat. Technically, anything screams when you boil it. <laughs> So, no, it's not screaming, but it's still horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you shouldn't feel any better now. <laughs> it's essentially the same thing as the sound a tea kettle makes as pressure builds up inside of it <laughs> and releases. <laughs> Anyways, December 1977, Teresa's missing her two children very badly, the ones that, you know, Lobster Boy had come up and snatched and brought back with him. And she contacts Lobster Boy, hoping that he'll, like, let her see her girls for Christmas. You know, she's not getting to see him much. She's a good mom. Yeah. She wants to see her girls. And Lobster Boy, to her surprise, says, yeah, of course, but you got to meet me at the bar beforehand. Teresa, badly wanting, you know, to see her children, she agrees and goes to the agreed-upon bar. She has her little husband in tow, and uh, the two of them meet <laughs> Lobster Boy there. And what a sight that would have been as just a a patron at the bar, just a <laughs> two-foot-ten-inch man next to Lobster Boy. Smoking hot brunette between the two of them. Yeah. Is, is, when they, like, does she carry him around in a wagon or does she carry him? I never came across how they traveled together, how the, how that relationship worked, but he is two foot 10 inches tall, which is drastically taller than what could even be considered a little person. Uh, drastically, drastically shorter than what would even be considered a little person. Yeah. Wow. 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 But I mean, I guess he just walked along beside her. Probably hopped in water puddles. <laughs> she just walked really slow. and Yeah. Oh, man. That's bought his, she bought his clothes from the American Doll Company. <laughs> he was always in Victorian era suits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's got that one special outer space outfit for special occasions. Yeah. <laughs> that and a... A cowboy outfit that he wore. <laughs> <laughs> so Midget Man, Mary, and Lobster Boy are there at the bar. They 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 ha they have a few drinks. They hang out for a little while. All seems well, and then they follow Grady Styles, the Lobster Boy, back to his trailer. And they're under the impression that they're getting ready to go gather the girls. The girls are there. It's late. They're gonna they're in bed. They're gonna go get the girls and then head on home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And once they get there, you know, they go into the trailer. Like I said, Teresa assumes the girls are back in their rooms. So she heads into the kitchen to make a cup of coffee. She figures this is going surprisingly well. We'll hang out for a minute and have some coffee, you know, catch up. 
When she comes back from the kitchen with the coffee and into the living room, she finds that Lobster Boy has Midget Man at gunpoint. And he's got a large, very large revolver aimed steadily at Midget Man's little bitty head. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was a setup, Pop. Dang it. The whole thing was a setup. When Teresa stepped into the living room, she st- obviously she stops dead in her tracks out of absolute horror and fear. It's at that point that Lobster Boy reaches up with his free claw and sticks two of those fused digits into his mouth. He makes a loud whistle noise. The back door opens, and like a like a Bond villain, the back door to the hallway opens, and the and it swings open, and in steps Paul the Fat Man Fishball. <laughs> wielding a shotgun. And from here on out, we're going to call this guy the fat man. He was a freak show, big old fat boy. You can't make this stuff up. Like like DC Comics movies have less characters that show <laughs> yeah, up. This is like the origin story to Spawn. Oh my goodness, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's amazing. Ugh. So Paul, the fat man fishball, like I said, he steps into the hallway wielding a shotgun. The fat man was Lobster's hired help. Lobster boy had hired him to, to help with this. And uh, the fat man, he waddles into the living room there holding the shotgun and just stands there like a giant, unmovable mountain while the midget man likely sizes him up, wondering if he can take him. <laughs> you know, there had to have been a point here up where Teresa's looking around at the situation. Right? There's, there's a guy with lobster claws, hands, and little, little bitty shriveled legs holding a revolver on her. There's her two-foot, ten-inch husband called Midget Man, absolutely horrified. There's a mongoloid, morbidly obese man holding a shotgun on them named Fat Man. She has to look around at all this and, like, take it in and be like, I really live an interesting life. This is, this is wild. You would think, but maybe there's just a, a slight possibility that she looked around the room and just got extremely turned on because... This lady doesn't seem to be tra- tra- uh, you know, filtering uh, aesthetics the same way the rest of us do. <laughs> no, no. And you know, super turned on. Yeah. Lobster Boy probably famous for one in the pink, one in the stink. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. I see your face. You absolutely know what I'm talking about. The innocence vanished there for just like a brief second. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So at this point in time, you know, they're all at gunpoint. Fat man standing there with a shotgun. Lobster boy's got a revolver. Uh, Mary and midget man are absolutely horrified. Lobster boy calls Teresa over to him. She obviously obeys. He's got a revolver. But when she gets within reach, he just smacks her across the face with one of his massive claws and... It's important to point out those are some mitts too. They're meaty, like what's that cringy fucking fat dude? Nakato Avocado is that his name? I have no idea. Does those mukbang videos? Anyways, that avocado dude, that cringy. He's like he's the master of cringe. He's the cringiest human being on the internet. He couldn't even finish one of these claws off in a mukbang video, even if he had a gallon of melted butter. What's a mukbang video? A mukbang video is something that is intentionally cringy. It's of uh, usually unhealthy people eating unhealthy amounts of food very loudly while smacking their lips. Oh, yeah. It's like reverse ASMR. (laughs) 
So it's basically going anywhere in America to a restaurant. And watch yes. It. Yeah. Walk into any Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> so after Lobster Boy smacks her fucking teeth out, he tells her. <laughs> The hymns are kicking in. The hymns are kicking in. I just thought I'd let you know. They're coming back. They're coming back. Okay. Feeling so after he smacks North. her, he tells her, he tells her and her husband, Midget Man, to never contact him again. And if she does, he'll kill them both. And uh, they, of course, leave uh, Midget Man probably slower than she did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that one scene from Family Guy. Have you seen it where they're going on a stakeout so all the guys are in the back of the moving van and they're like let's roll and then the guy in the wheelchair is just like (laughs) (laughs) well midget man wasn't in a wheelchair and this living room is probably 10 foot long he was running full speed took him 10 minutes to get to the door (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness he trips on a carpet fabric um, He's like, dang high pile carpet. <laughs> the kids absolutely hated living with Lobster Boy. They hated it. When he was inside the trailer, he only wore tidy whities and was constantly shit faced. So he's just in tidy whities. And like, like I said, although he used a wheelchair in public, in the house, he just continued his old habit of scooting around on his ball sack and gooch. Uh, using his hands and stubs and he was also it was it was said he was also always very sweaty and just moist so it's just this half naked moist hammered white trash torso with lobster claws sliding around on the trailer floor and screaming obscenities at them and headbutting them all the time that was their father it was like the plot to a rob zombie movie oh my goodness Oh, my face hurts so bad. <sighs> it's now 1978 up. 15-year-old Donna is sick of putting up with her dad's shit. Now, this is the one that, that was born uh, able-bodied, normal. And uh, she is looking for an escape route. And it is around mm. this time, like I said, she's 15 years old. She meets an 18-year-old young man that lived a half a mile away by the name of Jake Lane Jr. Now, he lived at 1041 Peralta Street in Pittsburgh. Uh, and they hit it off pretty quickly, pretty quickly. And not long afterwards, you know, she's sick of her sweaty, drunk, tidy waddy wearing dad dragging his balls across the trailer and yelling <laughs> at her all the time. She she runs away with this young man, and I can see why. I would want to as well. I would want to get out of that. Somehow, though, Lobster Boy is able to get in contact with Donna after she runs away via phone. And it is then that he informs her that he has hired detectives to hunt for her. And he lets her know that if they find her before he does, he is going to send her to juvie and he's going to kill Jack Lane Jr. the second he can while she's gone. Wow. Wow. In a panic, kind of as a, I guess it's just all she had at the time. She tells him, and this was a lie, that she ran away because she's pregnant and that Jack Lane Jr. just wanted to take her somewhere. He wanted to get a job. And he wanted to be a good father and build a life for her and their baby. Uh, She wasn't pregnant, though. Donna was a virgin. Oh. This strategy worked, though, on Lobster Boy because Lobster Boy was able to convince her to come home 
without him having to kill Jacqueline Jr. And he also agreed that if she would come home, he would sign the necessary paperwork for the two of them to get married. So everything seemed to work out okay there in the end. Well, good. <laughs> she does come home with Jack Lane Jr. They start planning a marriage. Uh, their wedding date was set for Thursday, September 28th, 1978. And on Monday, September 11th, 1978, so just a few weeks before the wedding, Grady Styles Jr. is there at a pawn, is at a pawn shop in his wheelchair with his 15-year-old, soon-to-be-married, able-bodied daughter, Donna, and that pawn shop was located at 503 East Ohio Street. And uh, and Lobster Boy is here on this day looking for a gun for, quote, self-defense, unquote. Huh. He ends up eyeballing a 32 caliber revolver. The employee hands it to him. Well, I, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, it took, it took me a second. <laughs> Whenever Lobster Boy has it in his claws there, that 32 caliber revolver, he looks at Donna, he laughs, and jokingly says, quote, I might use this on Jack, unquote. I'm trying to think how you would hold a revolver with claw. That'd, that'd be hard. You'd have to use two hands. So if you watch pictures of him, <clears throat> move these claws or, uh, or video of him, and I could only find one video of him actually uh, moving them. They seem to almost behave more like the way a snake's body does than the way normal mm. fingers do. So reticulated. Kinda. They're very okay. jointed. Yes, he can move them in almost any direction. Huh. And they can almost, watching him use them, I can see certain situations where mm-hmm. they would almost be more beneficial than five-digit fingers than having like normal a, hands. Almost more prehensile, like the, the tail of a monkey yes. than, a, than a hand. Okay. Yes. All right. Huh. So uh, he says, I might use this on Jack. But they laugh it off together. And, uh, and you know, he's just making a joke. He's making a silly. And, uh, and Lobster Boy makes the purchase. He does buy the thirty-two caliber revolver. Ugh. The day now up is Wednesday, September 27th, 1978. It is the day before the wedding. And on this day, 16 days after buying the 32 caliber revolver, Lobster Boy gets up that morning and heads to the local bar. And for the few hours that he's in there and the short time he's in there, he slams 12 whiskey doubles. Wow. Can hold his liquor. That it fill his body. Cavity. He then hobbles himself back to his trailer and cracks into a gallon of whiskey. And it is around this time, you know, Lobster Boy's made his made his way back to the trailer. He's he's got settled in. He's he's well into a half gallon or a gallon of whiskey. It's around this time that Donna, Carney Barb, <laughs> which is Donna's stepmom, and Jack, mm-hmm. Donna's fiance, they return home from Zales, and they had been at Zales picking up Donna's wedding dress for the next day. When they get there, they discover a very intoxicated lobster boy sliding around on his balls in his underwear like a fucked up version of Tom Cruise in Risky Business. Gross. Oh, gross. That's wrong. Now, this wasn't an uncommon sight, like I said. Super common sight. Pretty normal, actually, for them. However, Grady's wheelchair was missing. And they were like, where's the wheelchair? He said he didn't know. And because they were worried it might be stolen, they are at this point living, like I said, in the middle of Pennsylvania. They, they're in the middle of the city. They go outside to look for it. 
because they're in the city now. They're worried it might get stolen. The three of them offer to go outside and look for it. However, Lobster Boy told Donna and Carney Barb to go on. Yeah, go look for my wheelchair. But he said for Jack to hang back, he had something he needed to talk to him about. As Carney Barb and Donna were standing in the front yard looking for shitty McDrags' nuts' wheelchair, they hear the distinct sound of two gunshots ring out from inside the trailer. And at that point, moments later, 18-year-old Jack Lane Jr. busts through the front door of the trailer, holding his chest, runs down the three steps into the front yard, gripping his chest. His shirt is covered in blood, and he collapses into Donna's arms and dies right there on the spot. Now, as Donna is holding him in her arms, she said that she looked up and she sees Grady, Lobster Boy Styles, standing on his knees at the top of the steps in the doorway of the trailer with his claws on his hips and a smile on his face. Mm. Donna screamed at him, why? And Lobster Boy simply responded, I told you I would kill him. <laughs> so he has the same kind of voice as his dad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Grady was charged with first-degree murder and was facing the electric chair, facing the death sentence. And if he received the death sentence, they weren't going to put him in a chair, though. They were just going to boil him in a big fucking pot of water. <laughs> I made that up. They, weren't, they were just going to put him in a chair. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Donna moved back in with her mother. Donna moved back in with her mother and midget man back in Ohio. Obviously, she was a little... Um, I would say upset over her dad murdering her fiance. She was super bummed, super bummed out. Yeah. And but somehow Lobster Boy is able to raise a huge amount of money for legal defense, and he hires a slimy attorney with a winning with a winning record by the name of Anthony DeCello. Now, using a number of techniques in order to garner the sympathy of the jurors, playing up his disabilities. DeCello and Lobster Boy were eventually somehow able to get the charge reduced to voluntary manslaughter. Realizing the nightmare that it would be to house somebody like Grady Styles in a regular prison, we don't have the the means to do to take care of somebody like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also important to point out that he had cirrhosis of the liver from all the years of drinking. Because of these things, because of his disabilities, because of his health, because of the fact that the personnel in prisons aren't trained to deal with somebody like this, the judge sentences Styles to 15 years of probation with no restrictions whatsoever to move around. <laughs> First degree murder basically is what it was, even though they had it reduced to voluntary manslaughter. He gets off with 15 years probation, no restrictions. Wow. Wow. Using the 14 grand he had left over from the money he had raised for legal defense, he then divorces Carney Bob and bounces out of town and started a 10 in one sideshow of his own with him as the star. So Lobster Boy now is at, has his own 10 in one show. He's hitting the road and he's the star. By 1983, he has ditched the Lobster Boy nickname and changed it to Lobster Man. Uh, that was, which was his father's nickname, right? Um, mm-hmm. According, and I found that in an August 1983 issue of the Boston Glo- Boston Globe. He is also now tipping the scales at 210 pounds, and that's with little bitty legs. Dang! Uh, but we're still going to go with Lobster Boy out of respect for his father. Yeah, yeah, Lobster Boy. <laughs> He's also making now one dollar per gander. So pay one dollar, go in there and get a look, which is a a big step up from the nickel days. Now, meanwhile, back in Ohio op, Harry Midget Man Newman 
and Teresa were still together, but unfortunately for Midget Man, the two foot ten inch man had fallen fifteen feet uh, while doing some welding side work and had badly hurt his back. Now, if you do the math on that, you're thinking fifteen feet. This guy's two foot ten inches tall. That's like a normal dude falling thirty feet from two stories. Yeah, and I think that math is pretty solid. Although uh, when I when I said that, I think I was joking. But now that I'm thinking about it, that might actually be the case. Would that be the case? Uh, Not the math part. I know that's true. Oh, I know okay. that equivalent equivalent wise, a two foot ten inch man falling fifteen feet is equivalent to a you know say a six foot man falling thirty feet. But would a what I'm saying is would a fifteen feet drop for a two foot ten inch man produce the same injuries as a thirty foot drop for a six foot man? I don't know. Do, do a two foot does a man that size? Do they always land on their feet? No, this isn't a fucking feline. What if you like or like buttered bread always lands butter side? So if you buttered the back of that man, no, you'd have to butter his head, the top of his oh, head. Yeah, this is a quandary. It's a physics quandary. I don't think anyone could know the answer. Regardless, the injury had left uh, midget man bound to an itty bitty wheelchair. And it cost him his tire business as well as his ability to weld. So he's uh, went from slightly disabled to extremely disabled. He is now out of work and in need of money. And because of this midget man, also known as Harry Newman, then gets back into the freak show business. And he, Teresa, Donna, who was still living with him because she was still mad at her father for murdering her fiance and normal sized Glenny Newman Jr., uh, mm-hmm. which was Teresa and Midget Man's boy, they hit the road in order to start bringing in the dollars. Um, it is the early 80s now. It is important to point out that Glenny, who is, like I said, the son of Midget Man and, and, and Mary Teresa, he was a normal-sized man, but he had the IQ of 74. He had an IQ score of 74, which is like right along the lines of him hanging out with the Yuba County Five. Ah, wow. Just shy of what they need to uh, get you into the military, I believe. Yeah. He was slow. That's what I'm saying. Very, very slow. That's a very low IQ. You know, but, you know, despite being on par with Cardi B when it comes to intelligence, he still (laughs) understood that he needed a gimmick for the freak show because they're starting a freak show. He needs something. And that's when Glennie became the human blockhead and learned how to hammer nails into his nostrils. Gosh. So for the rest of this episode, Glenny is Blockhead, the dumb <laughs> guy, is Blockhead, who is the offspring of Midget Man. Oh, so many. I'm, there's too many characters now. I feel like I'm reading a fantasy novel. It's even better when, through a series of events here in a little bit, we'll get into Blockhead ends up living with Lobster Boy. So Glenny, although Blockhead is the offspring of Midget man, he ends up living with Lobster Boy. We're going to need a visual timeline attached to this. <laughs> and a PDF. <laughs> so, Glennie's learned how to hammer nails into his sinus cavities, his nasal cavities with nails. That's his gimmick for the uh, for the 10-in-1 show. And uh, like I said, the Newman, pa- the Newman family, they pick up and they move their home base uh, while they're traveling is now Smock, Pennsylvania. But unfortunately for them, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was still where Lobster Boy's home base was between shows. And he was now just 38 miles away. 
Mm-hmm. So before they kind of had the advantage of distance, right? Mm-hmm. But now they're just 38 miles away. And not long after this move, Mary Teresa begins to grow tired of taking care of her very tiny husband in his very tiny wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. And since Lobster Boy was so close, they eventually reconnect and Grady starts making promises that if she would come back, he would stop drinking and he would stop beating the dog shit out of her uh, and things would be different. That old song and dance, the thing that abusers do every single time I'll change, baby. It'll be different this time. Yeah, right. In 1989, Teresa unfortunately falls for the lobster bait and goes running back to Lobster Boy uh, because he ended up being almost three times the man that Midget Man was, even without fully formed legs. And he also had a full-sized wheelchair. (laughs) She... (laughs) She brings the kids with her, too. Blockhead included, even though he was Midget Man's biological son. She brings all of the children with her back to Lobster Boy. Okay. So she had had a child with Midget Man who was Blockhead. (laughs) Right? The dumb guy who hammered nails into his face. Right, that one. She brought Blockhead with her and took him from Midget Man and brought him to Lobster Boy. (laughs) Okay. So. Oh, my goodness. So the second Mary Teresa uh, steals Midget Man's son from him, as well as her other biological children, and moves back in with Lobster Boy. Uh, Lobster Boy immediately packs them up and moves them back down to Florida and gets a trailer at on the outskirts of Okeechobee. Okay. Now, Donna, the daughter who, who had her fiancé murdered by Lobster Boy, uh, she does end up forgiving him. After murdering her, for murdering her fiance, after he gives her $300 and gives her his blessing to marry a man by the name of Joe Miles, who was from Okeechobee, um, that she had mm-hmm. met. Now, Donna does marry him and she moves in with Joe Miles. So, in this trailer now outside of Okeechobee is Lobster Boy, the main character of the story, t- mm-hmm. Mary Teresa, the, the mother of all the children, and, and the right. one, you know, the one that had worked her way up to Electrified Girl, which basically, mm-hmm. Uh, if you really analyze it, is just normal gore that normal girl that sits in electrified chair, <laughs> and and as well as blockhead Glenny, who is the son of Mary Teresa and Midget Man, and is really dumb, and also <laughs> in this trailer is Grady Styles the third, who also has lobster hands and almost no legs. Mm-hmm. Okay, now. <laughs> Despite all his promises for staying sober and not pummeling her, Lobster Boy's sober streak lasts for about three months to the surprise of nobody but Teresa and probably Blockhead Glenny. But to be fair, everything was a surprise to him. (laughs) Yeah. Grady was right back in his old ways, like I said, you know, boozing, sliding around in his sweaty underwear in the trailer. Beating the hell out of Teresa. And he was also now beating Blockhead Glenny, too. So, pinching and poking and snip, snip, snip their ankles and leaving probably sweaty ball sack snail trails all over the floor. And you know his balls were always hanging out of the side of his underwear because he doesn't have normal wet legs. Right, right. So, they're just dragging. They're probably making that like 
You know, you remember in gym when you would run and play, and you would slide on the gym floor on your knees, and it would be like it would make that noise. Yeah, that's yeah, what his I mean, balls you... noise his balls made on the linoleum of that cheap trailer every time he would. <laughs> so we're almost Too done much. up. Okay, <laughs> it is now 1990. Kathy Styles, and to keep it easier on y'all, this is not Donna Styles. Kathy Styles mm. is the daughter that. Also has ectrodactyly, so she also has the lobster hands in the in the lobster. She is seven months pregnant, okay. and uh, she comes in one day to visit her parents there in her wheelchair at their trailer outside of Okeechobee. Now, Grady obviously is shit faced; he's hammered, and like always, he's he's raising sweaty hell in his underwear from his recliner. Uh, at one point, while she's there visiting, he goes to smack Teresa with one of his large, meaty claws. And uh, Kathy tries to intervene. She rolls in and tries to stop him. And uh, this enrages Grady. And he then focuses his anger on Kathy. And uh, he swats her with one of those big pinchers. And he ends up breaking her jaw and knocking her from her chair, sending her to the floor. Oh, She ended up having to be rushed to the emergency room, which sent her, because it sent her into early labor. And little Misty was born the next day by C-section, three months premature, but alive. And she is still alive today. Uh, She was also born with the same condition as her mother, grandfather, and great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather. And uh, Misty is 32 years old today. And like I said, she also has ectrodactyly. My goodness. Wow. They live, uh, this abusive lifestyle goes on until 1992. So this is two years after he forces his daughter into labor after beating her. Lobster Boy is now 55 years old. Blockhead is 18 years old. Teresa, the mother, is 52 years old. Grady, the third, Lobster Boy, uh, junior, junior, he is 16 years old. Okay. Lobster Boy has just decided that he's ready to take the show and his family back out on the road again, Op. And this time, he he himself is going to be the star uh, again. He, he wants to start another 10 and 1. And in his mind... The show is going to go like this. He he figures he's got Grady Styles the third, his son, who has ectrodactyly. Mm-hmm. He has Kathy Styles, his daughter, who has ectrodactyly, and then he has himself. And together, they're going to be marketed as the Lobster Family. Oh, also in the tent, he would have Blockhead, who, like I said, is Harry Newman Jr., the the offspring of Midget Man. He would do his nails into the face gig. Uh, Grady and Teresa. Um, his daughter, Kathy, had also agreed, on top of being in the Lobster Family Attraction, to run the Animal Oddities exhibit along with her husband, which has just, like, deformed frogs and cows and stuff like that in it. Boring. Also along for the <laughs> ride was going to be Donna and her husband, Joe Miles, who had agreed to do uh, a gorilla magic trick where they would turn Donna, who would be dressed as a scantily clad woman, into a gorilla which would just be Joe Miles in a gorilla costume. And, and people paid people, people paid, paid for this. this. Yeah. Wow. For his 10 in 1 show, uh, Lobster Boy also had hired the human pincushion, Satina the Snake Queen and a and a sword swallower for the show. Hmm. Okay. Now, while they're out at these carnivals, all day he would make his lobster children wear giant leather homemade mittens on their hands to hide their money makers despite the hot weather. He didn't want to give away free glimpses. He said, no, you got to hide those. 
That's money you're wasting just walking around all gallivanting around with your claws out. People pay to see them things. You got to hide them. That's good business thinking, honestly. Right. Yeah. I never understood why people would go up to the strip state to the stage in a strip club when you can sit back at a table and see the same thing without having to shove dollar bills into the girl's ass crack. It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I never have once in my life went up to the actual like area there where you sit at a strip club. I will qualify this by saying I have zero experience in this territory, but I remember one time I went to Vegas with a business on a business trip and I was with a whole like a group of guys that I normally wasn't familiar with being but we all met in the hotel lobby after the day and everything we were going to go to dinner and one of the guys was like we should go to a strip club after dinner and I said I'm I don't I don't really think so and they're like oh what are you what are you a wuss oh you don't do that kind of thing I'm like no um in my mind it's like why would I pay for something that I can look at when for the same money I could probably find somebody that I could touch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's been my reason in my head. I, that it also keeps me away from the whole scenario, you know. It's like that's how I that's how I make sure I don't touch things that I shouldn't. But it's the logic of strip clubs doesn't make much sense to me. Like I'm I don't know, maybe it's cuz I'm more hands-on and I don't understand why you would just, you know, I could I could like rent a movie and see that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's different seeing it. I, I mean, I'm just, when I was younger, yeah, I didn't go to strip clubs like a lot, but I didn't mind going to them. I just never like never once did I ever purchase like a lap dance or yeah. or go up to the stage and put dollars. I never understood that. Like I could sit at this table, enjoy my beer, and literally see everything you're doing without having to pay for it. It didn't make any sense. Pay for it. I wonder if part of it is that it's the the you know there must be it's sort of like. Um, People with foot fetishes, right? They're like, no, take the socks off. I'm like, there's a foot right there. It should do enough, right? And they're like, no, I need the socks off. I need the socks off. You know, it, it's like there must be something about the transaction of stuffing dollars into the. Or maybe that's always person. the guys that think that the stripper actually likes them. Yeah. That's like the kind of guy that shot. does that, maybe. Yeah. Right. He's like, he's like, I'm helping you get through college. They come back from the lap dance that they just paid $20 for and they're like, I think she locked me. I was like, oh, yeah. Why is that, Jerry? Because she just danced half naked on me. Oh, well, didn't you pay her $20 to do that? (laughs) Yeah. You fucking idiot. (laughs) Yeah, but she just like, she was really seemed like she was in it. Yeah, she wasn't even. No. More than than normal. (laughs) She's on the clock, Jerry. Have you ever asked for uh, something at Lowe's and walked away from that altercation <laughs> with the employee been like, I think that guy really fucking hated me. No, he's on the clock. You're a client. Even more accurate is ask somebody at Lowe's for something and they show you where it's at and you're like, I think that guy likes me. He totally did exactly what he I wanted. He did want. exactly <laughs> what I paid for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> so dumb. Got a number? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so frustrating being a stripper. I would fucking hate men. If I was a stripper, it would. I'm, gl- I'm glad I don't hate men now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my cheeks hurt. So Lobster Boy, you know, he's got his, his lobster family there. They're starting a 10 and one. He hires a bally man 
which like I said, is the guy, that, the chirper, the guy that would stand out. Welcome. Uh, he hires a bally man, good looking guy. He was a magician and his name was Merman the Magician. And this guy was a magician and a fire eater. And from here on out, we'll just call him Merman. Okay. For the record, I, I found Merman the Magician on the interwebs. And you can still you can still book him today. You can book him right now. He's still alive and doing magic shows. I don't know. So, you know, look him up. Book him for your kid's next birthday party or bar mitzvah or circumcision. Wherever you want to see. <laughs> now you see it. Now you don't. Foreskin tricks. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many hidden corners in this in this episode that it doesn't hit me until I've already passed the corner. And then I get mugged by what you just said. <laughs> oh, Merman the Magician, or Merman, and Joe Miles is the guy that I said, the guy in the gorilla suit, Donna's husband. They did not get along at this 10 and 1. They got into arguments constantly. They were fighting all the time. They hated each other. And the tension between these two eventually boiled over one night in Brockton, Massachusetts. Now, what started this fight was that the promoter for that show had put the 10 in one tent and the gorilla show right next to each other. And that's bad for Lobster Boy because both of these were his attractions. They're both mm. they're both his moneymakers. You don't want your two attractions competing with each other in the same area of the carnival. You don't want your because you've got a chirper for the gorilla show who was Joe, who also was the gorilla in the gorilla show. He was a chirper for the gorilla show and Merman. Merman, the magician, was the chirper for the 10 and 1. So they're competing now. Okay. But they're competing. A, a, the money is funneling into one location, which is Lobster Boy, right? Bad for business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's kind of created this monster. Yes. Yes. Mm. So Merman is the chirper for the 10 and 1. Joe is the chirper for the gorilla show. And because they hate each other and they're right beside each other, they kind of start competing over who can get more people into their into their little their little thing there, right? That this eventually yeah. comes to an argument, and that argument led to Gorilla Joe almost beating Merman to death. Oh no. He does survive though, and it was Merman the magician that noticed that Teresa was skimming money from the cash drawer every single night and saving it up. Ooh. So Merman the Magician, he 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 picks up on Teresa at the register there, who is, you know, the husband of, of of Lobster Boy, um, the one that was a once um, normal girl that sits in an electric chair. She is stealing money from the register every night, and she's saving it up. Now, what Merman the Magician didn't know up was that Teresa Stiles was saving up that money for murder. Oh, dun, dun, dun. To have Lobster Boy cut off at the knees. Capped. <laughs> uh oh I got it. It took me a second. Dang it. You keep doing that. And I'm like, why is there a pause? Oh, wait. <laughs> I just do, 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 right around the corner. Just listen to what Kent's saying and then smash over the back of the head with another. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm not good at this today. <laughs> July 1992. Teresa and Kathy Styles, Lobster Girl. So it's it's Mary Teresa, the mother, and Kathy, the one that has the lobster hands as well, as well is also in a wheelchair in a wheelchair. 
They're having a conversation when a roustabout, and by the way, a roustabout is just a guy that helps break down and put up the tents, like carny laborer. Okay. Right? He can't. He couldn't marry like the bearded woman because no. of the hierarchy, the carniarchy. <laughs> Marco Eno was so proud about being a roustabout for the carnival that he had a tattoo in his arm that said carny power. And really? that was not a joke. That is true. Yes, that is 100% true. <laughs> so Teresa and Kathy Styles, like I said, they're having a conversation when the roustabout Marco Eno, he, he kind of walks up, stumbles in. And it's then that Teresa and Kathy drop a bomb of a question on Marco Eno. Would you be willing to kill Grady, the Lobster Boy Styles, for a hearty chunk of change? Marco Eno says no, and he laughs it off, thinking they are mostly kidding. And then uh, Teresa and Kathy drop the subject. The circus and the freak show then finish up that season. Uh, they come to a stop like it did every single year when the cold starts rolling in. And Grady Styles, Lobster Boy Jr., brings his family back to Gibsonton, Florida and settles down in a trailer that was located at 11117. That's four once. 11117 Inglewood Drive. This would end up actually being the last place that Lobster Boy would ever drunkenly slide across the floor of, though, in his damp underwear because he will soon be dead. By the way, up, that trailer is still there today. It's still a trailer park. It even has a beware of dog sign on the fence to pull the entire feng shui together. <laughs> oh, so they're in Gibson. Too much. There was this, so they're around town and they're in Gibson. There was a yappy little 17 year old shit talker by the name of Chris Michael Wyatt that had been running around and telling everybody that he had killed so many humans in drive-by shootings. He was he was really trying to build up a tough guy persona, just a little fucking punk, 17-year-old. Oh. You know these kids. They think they're hard asses. Yeah. They run their mouth all the time. Anyways, Chris Watts tells they eventually get around to 18-year-old Blockhead, also known as Glenny, right. the dummy, who was uh, also... Wanting to get in on getting Lobster Boy dome pieced. Right. So, right. Blockhead approaches Chris Wine at one point and offers him $1,500 to kill Lobster Boy. Loudmouth wannabe bad boy Chris White gladly accepts. Weeks went by, though, and Lobster Boy was no less dead than he had been before Blockhead had gave White the $1,500. Uh, Lobster Boy was still doing well, sliding around, shit-faced in his tidy whities in the trailer and beating the hell out of all of them. And, I, and to that, I say, no shit. $1,500 is cheap for a murder, and you get what you fucking pay for. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're paying Whoa. under $10, you are going to get some shoddy work. Like, yeah. Yeah. $1,500 for a murder? For the big one? You're going to get outbid by the person that you, where you were sent to kill. So what can I They're paying you how much? Yeah, I'll pay you more. Let's go to the cops. Lays out all the time. I actually think that's the plot to Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> all jokes aside, yeah. right? They show up <clears throat> to do her because they, they don't understand what the order is. He says, I'll, do, I'll give you so-and-so much amount of money to do my wife. And they say, yeah. And then they show up. They're like, we're here to do you. And she's like, that son of a bitch was going to have you do me. And they're like, yeah. He's like, well, I'll pay you double to go back and do him. And they're like, we aren't gay. But they don't. <laughs> but they're talking about doing murders. <laughs> Not doing like BJ's. 
No, November 29th, 1992, uh-huh. Blockhead shows up at Chris Wine's trailer and tells him that if he doesn't go through with the murder tonight, his mother, Teresa, is going to the police the following day, and he's going to let them know that Chris had broken into their place and stolen the money, which is probably not would have ha- not what would have happened. Because um, all he would go, as if I was him, I'd be like, okay, tell him that. I'll tell him you gave me the money in a conspiracy to commit murder. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go tell him that, blockhead. <laughs> 11 p.m. that night, though, Chris Wyant, he, he decides, yeah, it's time. 11 p.m. That, that very same night that Blockhead had showed up and threatened him. Teresa and Blockhead, they make an excuse to leave. They said that they were going to go visit relatives. They leave the house, and they leave Lobster Boy sitting there, hammered, hammered in his underwear, perched on his recliner, watching the 1992 movie about Jack Ruby called um, Creatively Ruby. If you didn't see it, don't worry. Mm. Nobody else did either. Lobster Boy uh, probably was the only person that watched this. It does, however, have a young David Duchovny in it, as well as a young Tobin Bell, who played Jigsaw in the Saw franchise. So that's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, when Teresa and Blockhead had left, they had also intentionally left the back door open for Chris Wyant to sneak in. Not Mm. long after they, they left... Oh, by the way, it's important to point out, 16-year-old Grady Styles III, Lobster Jr., he was asleep in his room on the on the other end of the trailer. So 16-year-old, he's also there. Um, he's asleep in his room. And like I said, Teresa and Blockhead, they left the back door open. And a few moments after they leave, 17-year-old Chris Wyant slithers in through the open back door holding a Walther PPK. He sneaks up behind Grady, Lobster Boy Styles, and puts three... 32 caliber rounds into the back of his big ass 55 year old head, killing him instantly. Now, as the blood fell from his nose and mouth, his head and awkwardly shaped body tilted forward and he fell face first into the living room floor. Lobster Boy, also known as Grady Styles Jr., is dead. He is dead. Fun mm-hmm. fact though, Op, the Walther PPK. Is the same gun that Adolf Hitler used to shut down his own system. Yeah, which he did successfully. Chris Wyatt then ran out of the house without leaving any type of motive whatsoever. He didn't take any belongings. He didn't take any money. He even left Lobster Boy's wallet laying there completely untouched. He left everything. No motive whatsoever. Like I said, $1,500. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The police pretty quickly realized something is fucky here. And they, at that point, they bring in Blockhead Glenny for questioning. And with a 74 IQ, he pretty much folds immediately and confesses to everything. Afterwards, Teresa Stiles is brought in for questioning. She folds immediately. She confesses to everything. And not long after that, Chris Wyant is brought in and confesses to everything. Sentencing went as follows up. Chris Michael Wyant got 27 years in prison. Blockhead Glenny, life in prison. Teresa Stiles, she was sentenced to 12 years in prison on February 12th, 1997, a little over four years after the murder. But the judge had allowed her to be out on bond while all the appeal processes were going on. So that's why she had been out. She didn't have, she didn't get sentenced until 97. So she was free for mm-hmm. the four years uh, while all that shit was going on. And that's the end. That was the end. Of Grady, Lobster Boy, Styles Jr., and his reign of terror. And my sources for this story up were Lobster Boy by Fred Rosen and about 
10 million old newspapers, probably more newspapers than anything. <laughs> was this, was during it, was it during this research that you came across that uh, newspaper uh, that you found from your town? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, mm. So there's a, there's a lake in my town of Rockcastle County called Lake Linville. And uh, sometimes I'll dive deep into these cases that I'm researching and then I'll come up for air for a minute and I'll just start going into old newspapers about just stuff that I'm personally interested in for no reason. Yeah. And I just started, I was like, yeah. I want to learn about the lake, Lake Linville in Rockcastle. And uh, I learned that it was built in the early 70s and like eight people have died in it between then and now. And, uh, and yeah, I found a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. If you, ha- if you're interested in history, I highly recommend getting a newspapers.com subscription. Oh, I, yeah, I love them. I love it. Really, really that's interesting great. stuff. Aside from that, that's all I've got. Um, I'll put the, uh, the links to donate to Jason Vukovic, to his commissary, uh, to everything in the show notes. Please go and, and do the rating and the reviewing and all that, yada, yada, all that bullshit, bullshit that, that everybody says at the end of a podcast. Just insert that here and go do that, please. And, uh, and, and that's, that's all that I've got. And that was the story of, of Lobster Boy. I don't think my cheeks have hurt so much than more than this episode. So good job on that. I, I, I feel like I got a facelift. Well, oh man, you're welcome. That was a lot of research. A lot of research. It was. It was fun. I enjoyed this oh. one. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, I know I can tell that you like you're you're glad to have the information purged from your soul. Yes, this is definitely uh. one of those cases. Uh, the 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 Lobster Boy book, mm-hmm. very thick, very thick. About about as thick as as a as I would say like a, a Bible. Probably so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would expect as much from somebody who spent a lifetime trying to put themselves in the limelight, you know? Yes. That's a good point. Yeah. He did like, he loved, is always, he loved the, the show. He loved yeah. it so much that he was willing to have, he was almost um, hoping for his own disabilities for his own children so that he could benefit off of them. Yeah. Shitty person. I would wager he would like this show. So that's always encouraging. You think he would? Oh, yeah, I would. I, I didn't think he would like this well, show. Well, he's not now because I don't know if there's a hell or not. I don't even know if I believe in it. But if there is, he's dragging his nuts on those hot coals <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> he's a walking Traeger. Yeah. Just walking Drager. <laughs> Just Oh man. Well, thank you. This one was fun. And and I normally I don't say thank you, but thank you. This one was entertaining. This was really entertaining and they're they're all entertaining, but you know, in this entire story, the the one that I have the most sympathy for, I believe, is 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 Midget Man, Harry Newman. Harry Newman Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh I feel so bad for him. It's not even Mary Teresa Styles because she did leave him because of the fact that he hurt his back and was then confined to a wheelchair. Uh, she also took his son and and brought his son to an abusive environment knowingly. And Harry Midget Man Newman was, by all accounts, a caring, loving, funny, like pleasant human being. He was just two foot ten. That was like his only. And uh, instead of it's like she left him because he was now bound to a wheelchair. But what I don't understand is she just went to somebody else that was also bound to a wheelchair. 
I made the joke earlier <laughs> in the episode because he was he had a full sized wheelchair. It, it just doesn't that like she left this good man who cared about her and was an excellent father mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be with this piece of shit that she knew would abuse their children. Um, that's why in the entire as as, tor- as terrible as it was that Mary Teresa Styles um, was abused. She 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 was out of the situation. She had escaped already. Yeah, she kind of got what she was asking. Exactly. For, you know. Exactly. Yes. And I I I it's hard it's hard when you see somebody kind of walk into a problem like that. And right? imagine how this man talking about midget man how how horrible it would have been for him how how horrible he felt to watch her take his son, his biological son without him maybe being able to do anything about it and knowingly place him in an abusive situation. Yes, exactly. Boy, that, yeah, you would, you could, you could just guarantee it. Uh, you could expect a fight on your hands. With that. I really wish that I had the closing story to um, Harry Midget Man Newman Jr., but I couldn't find anything. And man, I spent hours trying to find something, at least to know when he died, if he's still alive. Um, I highly doubt he's still alive. People, you know, that size don't normally live super long, long lives. And he was in a wheelchair by the uh, late eighties. So. Well, they get, they get lost easy too. Yeah. You know, you could lose one in the mall. Yeah. I always worry Escalators. about that with Bean Bean, you know, I'll, yeah. Just get, it disappeared Bloop. underneath the gears yep. Yep. or in a, or in a clothes rack. Boy, forget about it. Snakes, garden snakes, get them. They get you, get them. All the time, uh, a good a good size osprey, or uh, you know, some talent flighting flight. flight oh, I thought you meant bird. um like the the military plane. I was like, those get a lot of people. You don't have to be a midget to be taken out by an osprey. But definitely a midget. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. if we're talking about that that plane. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oof. Well, all right. Uh, do you, how long does it take you to research one of these? So this uh episodes? this took me about two weeks. Two weeks. From the time I started. Yeah, and. Uh, my uh, my script is thirty one pages. Wow! So everything that uh, that I just read, and I say script. Um, anybody wondering how these episodes are done, if you care or not, um, I use an outline, and uh-huh. uh, so it's not a script. This isn't scripted, um, but we use an outline which just has uh, talking points, really. But the talking mm-hmm. points outline is thirty one pages. So if I call you. Tomorrow, you'll probably have another one ready then. Absolutely not. And even if I, I mean, I won't have one ready, no. And I would also prefer if you did not call me tomorrow, regardless. All right. Well, um, on that note, talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) Or not, or not. Or not, but most likely, yes. So not. Mm, Yes. Not going to answer. Because I love you. Huh? What? What?